Apple releases big surprises and the best practices for selling professional services. A how-to guide from the Big 11. They explain what it means to interview your clients and the new acronym HPI. What it means and why you and your sales force really need it. All that and more coming up next on this episode 53 of Open for Business. The Hartford Online Radio Network. On the horn. Bandwidth for On The Horn is provided by Amazon S3 servers. Amazon S3 is storage over the internet. Retrieve any amount of data at any time from anywhere on the web. Highly scalable, reliable, secure, fast, and inexpensive. All from a name you trust, Amazon. For more information about Amazon S3 storage, visit aws.amazon.com. Big news from the Apple sphere. Apple releasing all sorts of uh, new gadgets this, uh, well, today at one of their big events. As you all know, um, the iPad Mini, 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 which is going to be a seven-inch tablet, if you will. It's seven point nine on the diagonal. What is this really like? Matter. Midpoint between iPhone five and iPad regular? You know, it's actually it's sort of yeah, that or uh, the iPod Touch. It's kind of like a big iPod Touch. It looks okay. very similar to the existing iPad, but smaller. All right. And you can hold it in one hand, which you really can't. I mean, I don't have huge hands, but I mean, it, I can't grab this iPad here. You can't palm it. You cannot palm it, but this new one you can. All right. Now, would there, would, would there be reason to, if they have the mini to call the other one the maxi? Ooh. The the maxi pad, the, the iMaxi pad? Exactly. We saw I think, that um, yeah. <laughs> Funny guy. No, mm. I, I don't think so. But the big new one is going to be, uh, you know, it's it follows the same theme. It's like this one I just got in January um, that's going to be uh, faster, lighter, and thinner. Um, but it's going to have that new little lightning port and all that kind of stuff. I can't believe my iPad is already outdated. It's already been it's less than thrown to the what side. What is it, 10 months? Yeah, 10 months, something like that, eight months. Wow. So that's very sad. But you know what? There was more news. There was more news. There is a, a Mac Mini, which is uh, like the little box. It doesn't have a monitor or a keyboard or anything like that. It's just a tiny little computer. That has gotten faster, thinner, and uh, and uh, and lighter as well. But then the iMac, which is, you know, we have a few of them in the studio. We have a few of them in our off-site uh, place. That's the big boy. That's the big. It's just like a big monitor, and it's hard to believe there's a whole computer inside of it. Um, I was actually talking to the crazy coupon chick when we were doing her yeah, show last. Yeah. She was like, uh, where's the rest of that thing anyway? I said, no, nope, <laughs> that's it. That's it. That's the whole computer. But this thing, we we have we have the big honker in front of it. It's like a 27-inch uh, monster. Ken, how thick is this on the side, do you think? Uh, two, two and a half inches. Two and a half inches. The new iMac, five millimeters thin. You're kidding. Not just five millimeters thin, eight pounds eight pounds lighter and these things are not you know they're hefty 20 25 pounds something 25 30 pounds something like that i mean they're you know you know that you're carrying them and 40 percent less volume 40 percent that's almost half the volume in all the thing how do they do that it is just amazing it is very exciting now 
Let me ask you a quick question, yeah. though, the durability factor. I mean, a guy like me that is unintentionally abusive to my toys, you know, I trip, I fall, as we, as we all well know at this point in time. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but, you know, what? how does that hold up? Have they run tests on that as well? Yeah, it's, it's certainly just as durable. One of the things that they don't like is you could with some of the older, whether they be um, – macbook pros or imacs or something like that um you could actually repair some of these parts these things uh, i mean that on your own these you really have to take in you know they have to like kind of like put a suction cup on the glass and slowly remove it you need you need special tools Just to deal with these special or... and you know what five millimeter thin yeah i don't want to be touching no that way. thing i mean five millimeter thin it's broken Give me a new one. Yeah, give me a new one. Yeah. Um, so here on the iMac, uh, they really just kept about the same prices. They bumped everything up by a hundred bucks for the different sizes and all that kind of stuff. So pretty, pretty basic. And they really needed a, a refresh of the iMac because uh, it has been like this for for quite a while. The iPad Mini, three hundred and twenty nine dollars for a sixteen gigabyte. Now, you can get an iPad 2, which is that second generation, yep. but not the new iPad, for right. $399. All right. Doesn't have a... Oh, no, it does have a camera. Uh, it does have a camera. Or you can get the fourth generation iPad, which is the the one I have, what we colloquially, we call this the iPad 3, but even though it's not it. Um, you can get the new one there, retina display, twice as fast uh, of a processor, Five hundred bucks, four ninety nine. So is Apple? Is it faster, lighter, and better functionality, or are they just going faster? Faster, and lighter? lighter, thinner. Faster, lighter, thinner. Faster, lighter, thinner. How about functions? Functions it, are it's it's running the same OS. Uh -huh. Um, it's it, it's still OS five, uh, or OS six. So you are paying faster, lighter, thinner is more money. Right. Got it. Right. Faster, lighter, thinner, more money. And faster is, is a big deal. Lighter and thinner, I think, on an iMac, the big computer, probably doesn't matter. Yeah, it's like, sitting there. Yeah, it's just going to sit there. Um, I, you guys had read the uh, the Steve Jobs book um, by Walter Isaacson, and they tell a great story about the uh, the first iMac. Uh, it looked nothing like the iMacs they do today. It looked like a regular computer monitor, but it had a handle on the top. And Steve Jobs wanted a handle on it because it looked approachable. Really? And it cost them oodles more money to create this handle. Not thinking that anyone would ever actually bring it anywhere, but it was just, it was approachable because it had a handle. I okay. thought that was really cool. Um, so the iPad mini is thicker than the iMac. <laughs> the iPad, that's a great question. On the This is from the chat room from uh, uh, Eric. Uh, what's going to happen is the iPad mini is about the width of a pencil or a pen or something like that, you know, a standard, you know, Ticonderoga pencil, it, which is about how thin the, the current one is. The uh, iMac is five millimeters. It bows out as it gets to that little kind of kickstand thing mm -hmm. um, for whatever the design reasons are that it needs to do well, that. this iMac bows. Does this bow in the back? I don't yeah. even know. It's been a while since I've looked in the back. Yeah, of this it iMac. does. I'm, I'm... So it still bows a little bit. Yeah. Which is fine. 
uh, great five megapixel uh, cameras on on all these bad boys. So that's very exciting, hmm. which is really great. And I don't even care. Do you carry around a digital camera anymore, or do you just have? Well, yeah, you still have a BlackBerry. Don't, no, you no, have an iPhone. I have an iPhone. Yeah, I don't even carry around a uh, digital camera anymore. I don't either. I do I it all never there. Did actually, so <laughs> there's nothing new there. Tommy, do, do you st- you have the iPhone or do you have a Android? I can't remember. No, no, I'm an iPhone dude as well. And do you carry around a um a separate digital camera or do you just uh No, I just use the iPhone. Yeah. Though so, you know like Ken, you know, uh I would only time I would bring camera was to special occasions. So it wasn't a a regular companion of mine, but with the with the iPhone, it is now a regular companion of mine. And I'm more inclined to take photos where in other parts of my life I never would have. Yeah. And I think that's, I, I think that makes it more fun for, uh, you know, just communicating with your friends. Hey, look at this crazy yeah. thing I saw. Instead of telling the story, you know, at Picture. the bar later Picture. that night, pictures worth a thousand words, yep. you get it done. It's quick and dirty. It's yeah, fun plus stuff. It's changed. I mean, look at, look what it's done to, you know, what happened in, let's say, Egypt, you know, the uh, Egyptian. You know, spring. I mean, yeah. you know, the information that's conveyed because people have these reasonably good, if not very good, you know, abilities to capture the the images right. that they right. are on their smartphones and send them worldwide in an instant. I love that. It's yeah, the the the, the Twitter uprising is really what it is. All dictators are nervous about Twitter. Anyway. Good evening, everyone. My name is Brian Parker. I am, of course, joined by Zen Master Tommy Russo, who is zenning out as much as he can at home. He has a busted ankle or foot. I don't know what you did. What did you? What did you? Did you drop an elephant on it? What happened? No, the great Walendas had called me to uh, fill out the team, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you know, I I said sure, why not? Got up eighty-seven feet, fell, and amazingly, only broke my ankle. All right. So uh, that's the story. That's the story of the day, anyway. Tommy's from LNR Productions, full service audio video uh, production house, lnrproductions.com. Ken Cook is also here. He is not sporting crutches. You are in good health and looking dashing in that sweater vest. Well, thank you so much. Yes, sir. I, ha- I just have this visual image of Tommy in tights, 87 feet in the air. It's just <laughs> not a pretty thing. It wasn't, uh, Ken. It wasn't. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's good to have you all here. We are, of course, Open for Business, the podcast that explores all things business, entrepreneurship, technology, marketing, customer service, making a few bucks for yourself. That's also very <clears> important. <throat> we have some great sponsors that we have to just uh, do a quick little mention of. Uh, Gateway Financial Partners, terrific sponsors. Kenny from Budwitz and Meyerjack, great guys. Deepwater Seafood, one of our favorite spots to go eat, and Central CT Dental. Dot com. Thank you very much to the goes, those guys. We couldn't do the show without you. Um, interesting best practices for selling professional services. Uh, we have eight bigwigs chiming in. You sent out, uh, Ken, this um, this PDF. Yeah. I didn't know what it was initially. It just went on and on and on. 34 <laughs> pages worth. 34 pages worth. Yeah. I'm used to like two or three paragraphs from this guy. I'm making pages. you work this week, Brian. Uh, this is very interesting. Let's go through some of them because, um, you know, some of them are going to be kind of obvious. You know, Seth Godin says it's all about trust. Well, yeah. no, no kidding. Um, well, I what I like, this came from an outfit called RainToday.com, which Rain is Today, like Rainmaker. Rainmaker, okay. only RainToday.com, and the title of it is one piece of advice on selling from eleven experts. Okay, oh, so, I love it. So what I'm going to do for everybody, and particularly Brian and Tommy, for you guys. I'm going to read you the headline and the author of that headline, 
and then I'd just love to visit on a few of these, get your thoughts on it. Sure. All right. They opened with, as you said, Brian, Seth Godin. It's all about trust. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, you have to. Then Jill Conrath, who is the author of Selling the Big Companies. Yeah. Her title, Stop Selling and Start Making a Difference. Interesting. Alan Weiss, author of Million Dollar Consulting. If you're talking about price, you've lost control of the discussion. I need to read that like the Bible. Paige Arnoff Fenn, who is the CEO of Mavens and Moguls. The Real Thing, Why Authenticity Rules. Then you go over to Mike McLaughlin, uh-huh. who is co-author of Guerrilla Marketing for Consultants, Mastering the Art of the Client Interview. I love that title. That's a cool one. Paul Dunay, Do You Really Care About Your Client? No, really. Keith Ferrazzi, author of Never Eat Alone, Do Your Homework. Frank Stasiewski, I think. I'm Frank, I'm sure I butchered that, and my apologies. You must have a controversial opinion and tell people. Okay. Sam Reese, CEO Miller-Hyman, understand the client's concept. Sure. Larry Bodine, listening your way to new business. And Mike Schultz, Brian's HPI acronym, Hustle, Passion, and Intensity. Hustle, Passion, Intensity. Okay. It that, sounds like it's going to be like, uh, you know, it, it, it sounds like Philly's pep talk or something. This reads, as I read each one of those to me, yeah. like business-focused fortune cookies. It, it could is, break them open, and here is what someone would say if asked in one sentence, what is selling me? Well, that's a great analogy, Ken. I love it. Yeah. Tell me, Tommy, when I read through them, what was your first impression? Well, uh, all, you know, I, I guess going back to your analogy, just, you know, bite size, easy to digest, one or two liners that you can walk away from learn something from it instantaneously, and in most of the cases, apply equally instantaneously. Yeah. Now, with justice to every one of the authors here, this article is 34 pages long, and every one of these pieces, except for Mr. Godin's, is one to three pages. So they give you some detail to back up the statement. But in all honesty, I love Seth Godin's best. I mean, he says there's only one thing that matters, only one, does the person buying from you and her boss trust you? Now, the lo- the last line, though, is the loaded one. He says, trust is a loaded word. Lots and lots of elements to it. But there you go. That's it. It's all about trust. Yeah, but I, I guess it's really... You see, that's sort of underwhelming to me. Why? It's like, be a good person. Well, all right, yeah, be a good person. How, how do you be a good person? How do you create trust? That's the key. That's the key. Yeah. The trust part. Like, duh. You know, mm-hmm. don't steal from people, you know, have a good reputation. Well, no kidding. Yeah. <laughs> so, but, I mean, you know, I'm, you know, I'm going to put my two cents in on that. And Brian, I can see very much why you would have that initial response. But I, I'm going to relate to it uh, for me as a consumer. And as a consumer, I am regularly uh, astounded with the fact that people that I'm buying product and service from could care less about the fact that if I trust them or not. They don't invest in the time and the energy and the skills to develop that level of trust. There is a level of assumption, whatever you want to call it, uh, that they feel that they can get away without, again, creating and maintaining trust with me, their potential or existing client. Do you give them so money? I, 
I think guys like you and I understand it deeply, profoundly, and know that it's a no-brainer, but I think there's a ton of business people out there that have no clue as to how important trust is. Do you give them money? Um, well, I can cite you one example that just occurred, and and the answer was yes, but in plenty of other cases, the answer would be no. I recently refied my home, the mortgage of my home, with the existing bank that I've had the mortgage with since the day I bought the house. And I cannot tell you how inept, how horrible they were at servicing me. Really? It took at least twice as long to get the job done. They stumbled and fumbled right to the finish line. I mean, literally right to the finish line. And every time I reached out to them, it was this blase, oh yeah, we didn't do that, did we? Or, oh, we forgot about that. No, Mr. Russo, we've, you know, there was no amends. There was no uh, reason for them in their minds to be contrite. So in this case, Ken, Probably, I hope for obvious reasons, yes, they did get my business, but a lot of times I'll do an about face and say, thanks, That's but no why, thanks. But the, for me, it's not obvious. Why did you give them the business? Um, because, okay, because I wanted to keep it easy. For me to go out and shop, I got a great rate from them. Uh, for me to go out and shop and deal with a whole slew of other banks, that's also part of it. Not believing that I would have found a whole lot better service with another institution, lending institution, because of the nature of that industry. Mm -hmm. And that goes back to what I'm trying to say, is that the guys like you and I, all of us understand the value of trust and how important it is to really not only bring a client in, but keep that client forever. Uh, there's a lot of people out there, big and small business owners, that don't get it at all. And yet they're so, still successful. Uh, it, well, yeah. Or I guess it depends on how you want to define success, but yeah. Hmm. I, I don't know with trust. Tr trust to me is an important one, but I think that gets down to the, uh, the was it Paul Donay? Do you really care about your clients? Yeah. No, really. Yeah. I think, I think there are a lot of people that don't really care about their clients. They just they want don't. The, they want they care about their clients' revenue to them. Yep. And that's really part of the old sales thing. Like, you know, good job on that sale. Now, what have you done for me lately? Yeah. Coffees for you know closers. That that sort of mentality. You know, it's funny though with the bank, the relationship that you had, Tommy, and refinancing. In right. many cases, people would look at that and say, that's a consumer transaction. It's not a business-to-business -business transaction. And you can get away with it in the consumer world. But I was in a conversation last week with people who are in the consumer space. And the two examples that came to the top of the list as stellar consumer-oriented retailers were Nordstrom's and the Miller Marsh clothing stores down in Fairfield County. And mm. both of them excel in exceptional customer service and building relationships with their customers. Every Nordstrom salesperson has a book. And that book contains every customer who's purchased from them, the complete profile. It's like, it's like an automated co customer management system, yeah. not automated. And it, do, you, it, do you feel that... I, I see this. I've been to Nordstrom's. I've yeah. bought stuff there. I've been to other places, whatever they are. Sometimes I just want a little anonymity. Sometimes I just want to go in there, 
want to purchase something. I really don't feel like giving you my email address. I really didn't, I want you to know my name because you read it off the credit card and you're polite enough to say thank you, uh, Mr. Parker, and that's it. And they let you get away with that. And, they, and that's, I don't really want to like dive, I don't want to be in your black book. Yeah. You know, I just want to come in, do my thing, and go. I don't want that relationship. And I feel like there are elements in the business world that are, I, I don't think it's appropriate to develop a relationship. I agree. I agree. You know? I think you need to ask. I think building a relationship with a customer is a permission-granted activity. It is not an assumptive activity. I'm so glad Bingo. to hear you say that. Yeah. That's I, something that's been bothering me. Yeah. You need to ask permission before someone yeah. will build a relationship with you. Because if you do it assumptively, mm -hmm. all you're going to do is piss them off. No, I agree. Yeah. That's a great way of articulating it, Ken. I agree with you 100%. Stop selling and start making a difference. This reminds me of the Seth Godin thing, Give It Away, where, you know, don't sell your yourself. Just start producing solutions. Hmm. I, I, I like that. That's yeah. kind of how I do it. Absolutely. However, the next one by Alan Weiss, if you're talking about price, you've already lost control of the discussion. That, I'm I'm terrible at this. Why is this I one lose, the Bible you need? I don't know. This is, <laughs> I cannot, I, I don't really don't, I guess I don't know how to separate myself other than the fact of screaming till I'm blue in the face about all the ways that other money manager professionals are screwing you and I'm not going to screw you and I'm going to be cheaper. And it's just sort of like, that's why, such why an old argument. Why do you wait the second sentence though? Because I am. But why? I mean, has, has anyone asked? They have. Okay. Then it's a question we are asking for an answer. But if nobody asked, Tommy, do you ever bring up price conversations when they're not asked? If, you, if you're talking to your mutual fund guy or whoever Virtually your broker. Virtually never. Yeah. You never ask how much do you get? How, what's your fee? No, at some point no. it comes up. But it's not. I don't throw price conversation into the discussion unless it's a formal bid response that has to be written. Right. I always focus on what the value is. I always focus on what the client's challenges are. Yeah. I always focus on delivering solutions to that. Then they can sit there and say, all right, I trust you. I believe in your solution. I believe what you're offering me. How much is it going to cost? And yeah. then you give them a price. And if the price is too high, that means that you have not overcome their risk. Or they just like to, I mean, I don't know. Everyone, to me, everyone usually says this. I love it. This is exactly what we need. What can you find the price for me? Yeah. I need you, is the response I get. What can you do in the price? Absolutely. Like, really? I don't, yeah. I don't, really? I don't, know. I don't know. You want my kid? I don't know. What, what, what do you want? You have a, an entire show. Based on the concept of that, it's a coupon show. Come on, Brian. <laughs> that's what it's all about. Yeah, but People I don't want coupon. a deal. I don't coupon. Well, that's your bias. <laughs> People want yells, a deal. She yells at me each week, too. Yeah, I'm sure she does. <laughs> Did you get your inserts? Now I didn't get my inserts. My inserts well, always I... end up in the trash. I'm in your camp here. No. Well, and if, I if throw guys... them out, and then you know what happens? I had to go to the store, buy another newspaper <laughs> so my wife can do it. That's that's how it happens in my family. That's pitiful. And she gets upset because there, there's this little tiny uh, place called Garden of Light, maybe two or three stores in Connecticut, but a tiny little operation. Yeah. 
and it's a little uh, grocery store. And I think it's really cool, and they sell fresh stuff, and it's wonderful. And I go there, and I overpay through the nose because I think it's nice. Yeah. I'm supporting these guys. They live in town. They live in Bloomfield. They live in Simsbury. They live in Hartford, whatever, whatever. So, I mean, what difference does it make to me if I buy the yogurt for a dollar fifty or two twenty-five? It's like buying. Like, the... does that seventy-five cents mean anything to me? No, it doesn't mean anything to me. It's like buying the golf shirt from the pro in the pro shop instead of buying it discount. You know, sometimes that that can get that can be like that can get thirty, forty dollars. Yeah, <laughs> and it's like, eh. but you do it at least once a year just to support the local pro. Yeah, well, I'm wearing. You know, I I mean, I buy. Yeah, I don't know. You you do it. You do it. Tommy, you were going to say something? Well, I, what I was going to say, is, and, and Brian, you know, it's great that you're in a life position that, you know, that extra 75 cents per cup of yogurt doesn't mean anything. Obviously, there's a ton of people out there that don't have that luxury. At this. Oh, whoops. Whoops. Tommy froze. What I was going to say. Yeah, there he is. is. He's back. There, there's a monster. He hit it with his ankle. <laughs> yep, there's a monster out there, and that monster is every time we turn around, every time you open up the newspaper, every time you turn the TV on, every time you listen to the radio, uh, and even billboards, you are seeing, you know, buy at ten percent, twenty percent, fifty percent off, buy one get two free. I mean, the list goes on and on. Yeah. So you have a level of expectation that migrates over into the B2B world, that if I can get it at a discount over here, yeah. then I can get it at a discount over there. And I've had people, I mean, you know, our business is just shy of 30 years old. We rarely ever had anybody ever negotiate with us. Well, I can tell you those days are long gone. Hmm. Now, you know, and people are constantly asking for, can you do better? You know, is that yeah. your best price? We hear that all the time. So that's what I mean by the monster out there that needs to constantly be fed. Well, we get natural gas delivered at the house about two or three times a year. Yeah. And Candace called up for the delivery about this time of the year, gets done with the order and everything, gets the price per gallon, which is like 305 And she says, can you do anything for me on the price? And we got it down to, she got it, not we, she got it down to 286 yeah, I mean, here's what I mean. Like, if you're going to save, like, you know, if you're going to go out and spend $100 or 150 bucks at the grocery store, and potentially you could have saved $5. Yeah. I Who who cares? Yeah. That, that's not. If you're the buying natural gas, cares. she cares tremendously. And some of the deals she does is kind of ridiculous. But, um, you know, if you're buying natural gas, and all of a sudden you're talking about, three times a year and maybe you can save four hundred dollars that year no well that's that's real money yeah but it's you know i'm not sitting here saying that you know like oh i'm the you know i'm mr luxury i i get the expensive yogurt at 75 cents more like no i mean i'm just saying but the, to the this, price elasticity doesn't that doesn't matter to me to this guy to alan weiss's point his his headline is if you're talking about price you've lost control of the discussion and what he says is uh, it's totally your fault if price is the topic. The only important discussion point is about value, and particularly the value which pertains to the buyer's emotions. On an intellectual level, that makes absolute sense. Yeah. However, yeah. everybody wants to know what it's going to cost. If you don't talk about price, you're never going to get the deal. Bingo. you got to talk price. Price is equivalent to value. It is a measurement of value. 
Yeah, someone was saying that because you, what I have done is I'm so tired of this price thing in the investment world. I've just underpriced myself tremendously. You know, most of my peers charge about 120 to 150 basis points or 1.2, 1.5%. I charge half a percent. Do the, an easy, do the easy analogy on price. Uh-huh. Always compare it to cars. Are you a Chevy Co- Cobalt? Are you a Honda Accord? Are you an Audi? A BMW, a Rolls, a Mercedes. What are you? You go. Uh, no. You go. <laughs> I think uh, I'm 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 not a Mercedes or a BMW, but I'm an Audi. Then you're you're a luxury buy. I'm a luxury buy with a you're lot of service. Very lot utilitarian. A lot of bells and whistles. I'm probably getting more for my dollar with an Audi than I would with a Mercedes because it's slightly less expensive, mm-hmm. but probably equivalent feature-wise. Everybody understands cars. Yeah. Everybody understands how to make the comparison between cars. But this is but this is for service. Same difference. You think so? Absolutely. There's a plumber in the chat room who says he doesn't have any opinions. He's a plumber. But do you ever get, I want to ask him directly, do you ever get uh, beat up after you've fixed someone's problem water spewing everywhere you know their well is blown up and you fixed it and then they get the bill and they say hmm, maybe you can fix this little something with the price here what do you think triple rate on christmas day that's the way it is <laughs> triple rate. no one even i've quoted hourly rate and no one ever pays it no one's ever paid it yeah it's just ridiculous. Right. Let me ask you guys, instead of going through all of these so-called yeah. experts, let's talk to the real experts. Tommy, your number one selling tip. What is My it? number one selling what? Selling tip. If you had to give one tip for selling effectively to the, our audience, what would it be? Uh, ask really well-thought-out questions and be the best listener you can be. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. Yeah, I think also asking the question leads to proving your level of competence. You know, if you uh, ask the right questions, they start to think, oh, you know what? I hadn't thought. I, I'm glad you're asking that because I don't know, but I see why it's important now because you ask it. Well, let me ask Tommy, question for you. Is it when you say a well thought out question, is this pre prepared prior to the meeting? I go along with Keith Ferrazzi. If if you, and especially in this day and age, you have zero excuse not to be well prepared, not to go in and and know at least a reasonable amount about the client that you are about to engage in conversation with, mm-hmm. uh, uh, because the the web gives us gives us that inside track. So you can go in there intelligently and not only about their specific business, but also about their industry, the industry that that business is in. So, yeah, I, I'm, you know, saying just that, you know, that you'd go in, you, you, you're prepared with, with homework that you've done. Thank you, Keith. Yeah. And, and then you ask the questions. And, and if you're a good listener, the likelihood of the opportunities beginning to present themselves as the client answers the questions you've asked, those likelihoods increase dramatically. Yeah. And, and, and then you just kind of, there's where going back to what you were talking about, Ken, my experience, that's when the value begins to demonstrate itself to the client. And if you're handling it right, the client's going to say to you, 
well, this sounds like something I'm interested. How much does this cost? There you go. And, and you've, you've led them right to where you want to lead them. But the other thing that you have to remember with Ferrazzi, which I 100% agree with, his research is not so much about the business and the industry, though that's important. It's about the person. Who, who is well this made. individual? What's their background? What are their interests? What are their passions? What are their responsibilities? Where'd they come from? And again, thank God for the web. We can get all of that. Absolutely. There is a, well um, there is a, ironically, controversial one in here about being, you must have a controversial opinion and tell people. I'm curious about that one. What would be the controversial opinion that you should have? I mean, controversial, but you, you're not like everyone else just to separate you? Is that what he's trying to get at? That's the sense I got, and that's the one out of the 11 that I just I get nothing from. Do you have any, I, I can't agree I, with I it. I buy that for a split second. I you mean, don't? I think that there might be an occasional client that if, again, you're listening well and, <clears throat> and paying attention, that you can tell they're born contrarian and they like to mix it up. Maybe in a, in, in a rare situation like that, that kind of advice would go well. But I think, at least for me, a high percentage of the of the clients that I've worked with, if I threw that kind of wrench into the machinery, I'd be walking out with nothing at all. Yeah, I think it just distracts from what the client needs. I agree. Amen. Um, yeah, I can't even really. I think controversy for the sake of differentiating yourself has no authenticity in it at all. Yeah, no, I agree. It's, uh, you know, it's like uh, we were talking about, uh, was it last week, with uh, creating buzz to get clicks, you know, yep. gaming the system. Yep. That you just want popularity yeah. as opposed to, much like here, we don't really game the system here. We just say it like it is, like we feel it. We could be like, Apple screws up on iMac, you know, mm -hmm. only five millimeters thin, you know, like. We should have asked Tommy which bank it was if we're going to get that up from. I'll, I'll tell you in a heartbeat. I'll tell, what know, is that's it? That's the other thing. Which one? Is I, I will trash this bank for the rest of my life. I will. Oh. I mean, Ooh, they're going to get here. a lot of money from me. Start here. Start here. It's Flagstar. Who the hell is Flagstar? Flagstar. Flagstar. They're out of Minnesota. They're a huge bank. Huge, oh, huge bank. They got to be an online bank. Minnesota, eh? I never yep. heard of them. They are. I, oh, my God. Oh, my God. I just. So, yeah. Every opportunity that I get, I will I will trash them for no doubt about it because they were yeah. horrible, horrible. I don't really like banks. I got to be honest. <laughs> All the services that banks offer, I have found better solutions to. I, I, like what? Well, let's say mortgages. Yeah. I will never not use a mortgage broker. I think mortgage brokers earn every penny that they get. I love that they fill out the forms for you. Everything is neat and organized. I've bought three houses now. Everything was fine. Every time I've tried to go to a local bank, and and one of them, like I know half of the board members on this bank, you know what they do? They mail me a packet of information to fill out. It's, you know, 50 pages thick. And Ouch. I gotta do my name. I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, I just, I, I don't know. Well, it's Even interesting, in, you know, Brian, that you say that because how I ended up with Flagstar is I went through a local mortgage banker here in Connecticut who is a dear friend 
um, and and trusted him implicitly. In fact, if I was to buy another piece of property, Steve would be the guy. And and Steve, by the way, Steve, it was Steve. Steve Tesler. Yeah, I know Steve. Good guy. Steve's, Steve's the best. Yeah. He's the best. And I, you know, I have implicit faith and trust in him. He's done great by me. So obviously, once they got the business, they his company, Connecticut Mortgage Bankers Associated, whatever the hell their name is, <laughs> they and they sold it off to Flagstar. I ended up with Flagstar, and you know, again, to keep my life a little bit less complicated, you know, I did the refi with them, but it became a lot more complicated. What than was I the one? Um, it was uh, it was from Southern Connecticut, and then they just sold out to Niagara. I can't remember what it is, but it, it's, it's Niagara now. Niagara, we found they were debiting our client's account twice for the mortgage payment for like eight months. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> we, we did an annual review. I'm like, and they didn't bounce a check in that time? No, well, they have lots of money. But, oh, good for them. Uh, but I'm looking at this and I'm like, there should be a lot more money in this account. I yeah. don't understand. So we had to go back and we got their checkbook. The checkbook didn't match at all. We got the online statements. I'm looking at this and I'm like, all right, here's the mortgage. Here's the second. Here's the payment wait, here's another mortgage, and it's similar to this one. And it wasn't even like they did it every month. It was like every other month they wow. would they would double tap or something like that. So they, you know, finally, we get through all this. And I asked them for, uh, I want to know what the actual loan, if they wanted to pay this off now, what is the actual loan balance? I know what the rate was. I know when the uh, payment started for this uh, refi. I know about what it should be. Tell me what it is now. They came up with the same number I did, and they did not include the double-dipping payments. So they weren't even crediting. So then I brought it up to them, and I said, well, I want I want a, a full amortization schedule. You know what they did? They charged the clients $15. For the amortization. Oh, just God. for the amortization. I'm like, are you kidding me? Oh, my should- God. That's just, oh, my God. I don't understand that. Anyway, so I went in there like guns blazing. And got this straightened out. They wrote our, our clients a check for like $40,000 or something crazy. With like. apologies, Woo! I hope. With with some apologies. The woman who we were talking to at the bank was pretty good. She was a little sleuth. She didn't have a lot of the answers, and it was hard for her to get them. But she stayed with it, and she got she got the answer. So that was that's one good thing about local banks. If you get the right person in there, they can kind of navigate mm-hmm. the bureaucracy for you. Right. But, Isn't that the truth? So, yeah. Brian, what's your number one selling tip? My number one selling tip, I think, is be yourself, uh, be personable, be happy to see the client. Hey, how are you? Genuine. It's Bobby McFerrin recreated. Yeah, you know, be you know, <laughs> I I think I get most of my business just by really listening and engaging the client in non-business related discussion. Mm-hmm. I was talking to a guy this morning who had some questions that it didn't even concern an account that I was managing. I wasn't even making any money on it. And, you know, it's a trust, and it's going to be split into – it's that Merrill Lynch who's doing a great job, so there was no reason for me to try to go get it. And uh, their trust was going to be split into two different accounts, but under the same trust document. And he was confused about whether or not they could do that and how check writing would work and they want to pay for college tuitions and da 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 So, you know, I just kind of went through, like, well, here's my vision, but, you know, we got to we got to circle the wagons with the other trustee um, – who's an arm's length trustee. And then we just got to call Merrill. Why don't you call the trustee? Cause since you know him, he's a buddy of yours and I'll call um, the, the Merrill Lynch guy who everybody knows and uh, talked with him, wrote a quick little memo, sent it out to all the different parties. 
and, and that was it. Just, you know, what, what, what do you, you know, what do you need? How can I be a problem solver for you? I'm happy to help. There you go. Problem solver. Be happy. Oh, so, Ken, how yes. about you? What's oh, your number one tip? Number one for me, a, a two-parter. Build relationships that are founded in trust. I'm much on Seth Godin's boat on that one. But probably the second one is to treat every relationship as if I, as if the business is not important. There, hmm. there was a quote that was given that I forget who the CEO was. He was the CEO of a multi-billion-dollar business, and his comment was that he wished every person who walked into his office to sell him something was financially independently wealthy because then he knew that the sale and the commission or whatever the reward was for the sale didn't matter and that's the attitude that I take to everything the sale itself doesn't matter it's the relationship that matters and the sale will come when the value is communicated clearly and the risk factor is mitigated for the client. You know, that's you know, in this political season, I find that the same way with my candidates. If I feel that this candidate needs to get to Washington to get that big check from yeah, the federal government, that's not good. And I don't feel so much like this, like Linda McMahon thing. She has this ad that's out that you know she's beyond corruption because you know, I'm independently wealthy. You know, oh, no, no one's going to buy me off because I have all the money. I, understandable i get that i think that's a valid point but i i don't trust the statement it, regardless of who it, okay. it is okay. okay um it's because you don't trust her yeah. for a variety of other reasons. other reasons but 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 the sentiment yeah i i think is is right on the money and that's really how that is how the country was founded yeah it was founded by you had to have enough property as they say so you could cogitate about these things intellectually and no, not have to worry about, you know, is it going to be a good harvest season and do I need to, like, put the country on the back burner so I can feed my own family and all that kind of stuff? Because that stuff is real. Noblesse oblige. That's the ruling class. They should, when the founding fathers put it all together, that's who they wanted running stuff. Yeah. So Love it. But I, th I really think a message to every professional b2b salesperson and every particularly every sales manager out there i understand you got quotas i understand you got numbers you got to make but stop focusing on them yeah just let it lie there now that flies in the face a little bit you may think of this hpi this hustle hustle passion intensity which is by mike schultz i think hustle passion and intensity are great but behind the scenes and focused in the right direction. Never, yeah, focused yeah, in the right direction. Keep your head down. Hustle mm -hmm. and get your work done in the morning so in the afternoon you can go out and get new clients. Yeah. Get all the stuff done. Get all your ducks in a row in the morning and passionately do it because you want it to be perfect. Yeah. And the intensity is really <clears throat> that I, you don't want to be intense with a client. I think it's intense. Um, Getting the work done and thinking out of the box. Don't just uh, have a check in the box. I need to do this for this client. Click, click. That's it. You want to have the passion to see beyond that task and then the intensity to answer all of the possible questions that could come along with that issue and make sure that, that you have it. Yeah. So hustle your butt in the morning. 
yep. passionately look at w- what you have to do, intensely prepare, and then go out and sell the business. Go out and build the relationship. The business will take care of itself. Okay. Yeah, I, I agree with that, Ken. It's really good. And I mean, and that really goes against, you know, popular uh, sales training 101 or oh yeah. it really does. But but I, I also believe wholeheartedly, and I know I've mentioned this on previous shows, that the benchmark of consumerism, and whether it's a B2B consumer or it's a B2C consumer, the benchmark of consumerism has risen dramatically. And as part of that, we have potential buyers that can read the writing on the wall in a heartbeat. They know when you're walking in the door and the only interest you have is making the sale. So by stripping that out of the equation and going in and doing what you've you know, most often kind of recommended building the relationship mm-hmm. that client begins to realize, Hey, this is a person that I might very well be able to trust mm-hmm. and have a relationship with that eventually could turn to a business relationship. You know, I'm thinking of someone who called me today, uh, this guy, Mike, who works at, uh, at Bloomberg, he goes out and he sells, um, Bloomberg terminals, which are these, um, their web, uh, access now but it's uh you know real-time quotes and strategies and heat maps of what's going on in every market that you can possibly it's very it's really cool stuff yeah it's great for research i really dig it um i have no other than like an intellectual curiosity and academic fascination with it yeah I, there's no place for it in my business and they're like twenty thousand dollars a wow. year it's like you know it's a big ticket item yeah. and i've told this guy a number of times and he was nice enough and he came in and i sat with him and Whatever. He's called me two or three times since then. Just checking up. I know this is not for you, but I just wanted to uh, check in, see how everything was going. That's sort of, you know, he's passionate. He's hustling. He's intense, um, intensely looking at trying to build a relationship. Mm-hmm. But uh, but he's not pushing anything on me. Because yeah. I've already told him flat out, this just doesn't work. And he gets it. It doesn't work. And let me, let me ask you, Brian, yeah. is, it, is there any likelihood that even though you guys will never buy it, that you will at some point be in a position that you could recommend his services to one of the clients that you serve? Yeah. Uh, well, not, well, no, but um, just because I, I deal with individuals. And so This is for someone who is in the investment business, has Got an it. investment business and has, you know, way more than a little hundred million dollars that I have. You know, they have to have, you know, half a billion or a billion dollars or more. And if you have a good relationship with Mike and you run across yeah, but a if friendly says, competitor. Boy, I really want a Bloomberg terminal. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I know Mike. Here's Mike. Good. Yeah. 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 That's, but that's, and that's what he's doing. Right. And, and it sounds like he's a smart guy. He yeah. has a sense that somewhere down the road, you know, you're going to be in a position to say, I know a guy. And and the guy's name is Mike, and here's what he does, and you should speak to him sometime soon. Right. And yeah. that's what that's what our colleague here and co-host Ken Cook talks about on a very regular and consistent basis. I know we're out of time. I'm going to give you one thought to leave with, and maybe we'll hit it on a future show. Sure. The rise of relationships and the focus on them at the same time that we're becoming more digital, digitally focused and disconnected from each other. I agree. That would be a great topic. It's interesting. How disconnected are you from your clients because of technology? How frequently do you email instead of picking up the phone? How frequently do you text instead of calling? Actually, you know, that's interesting. I don't really know. I think I do still pick up the phone. How often does a co-host not come and Skype in? There he is. (laughs) (laughs) That's a great one.
Hey, thank you all for listening. We could not do the show without our sponsors, Amazon.com, Gateway Financial Partners, the accounting firm of Budwitz and Meyer Jack, and Deepwater Seafood of Avon. Of course, our good friends over at CentralCTDental.com. Very special thanks to our chat room moderator, Evan Richards. We are closing up business for this week, but join us next Tuesday night at 5 p.m. when we will once again be open for business. We'll see you guys. Cheers. Take care.